You're listening to the recordings of our weekend with Brad Jerzak. This session comes from our Sunday morning contemplative service, where Brad does some teaching and leads us in some contemplative practice that has really energised his own spiritual life. We hope you enjoy it. It's good to be here for a, a central morning service. and I just, My name is Luke and I just want to make... Uh, you feel welcome and um, yeah, thank you for, for coming and being part of what is not a regular part of our, our gatherings here at Central. We have a monthly um, Sunday morning service that's, that is uh, centred around spiritual practice and this is like a bonus episode because we've got the lovely Brad Jerzak with us. So, um, but it's great to um, yeah, see lots of familiar faces from the last couple of days and a few people that I haven't met as well. Um, and so we just come into this place and into these lands um, of the Darawal people and we are thankful to our God and our Creator who is here with us and has always been in, in these lands. Um, and so I just want to um, just, yeah, get us to be here in this moment. Um, and so I'll just um, get you to find yourselves in a comfortable in a comfortable place um, and as you're just settling into your seat um, I mean I guess the the heart of of our service centered around spiritual practice is really to um, instead of having a service that is necessarily around singing and hearing some information that's around being the people that practice the the ways of spiritual formation together um, and so sometimes that means we do things that that you might be weird and you might think oh, I never want to do that again um, and that's that's good and that's okay I've, I've had a couple of those myself but there hopefully there's other things that we discover along the way that inform part of our own walk in our own lives and in, in our families and in our other faith communities as well so that's kind of the heart of this so I encourage everyone here that as we do some different practices today to just be have an open mind and open heart to those things um, and to see what God might be saying to you and in you and in us and in this place. Um, so that would be great. So let's just find ourselves here. Feel your feet on the ground in front of you. Let your body sink into the chair. And let's just breathe deeply together. So we breathe in. We acknowledge that it's God in the air, the giver of life, the sustainer of all things. And as we breathe out, we release the tensions and anxieties of our own existence and the things of yesterday and this morning. And we, and we release them to the Holy Spirit who is all around us. We thank Yahweh for life as our lungs transform that air and put it into our circulatory system that delivers oxygen and life to our bodies. And so the Spirit of God is life to our being. And we are here. Amen. And I just wanted to also just share a 
a line from Thomas Merton with us. Uh, I think part of the beauty and why I really love this uh, spiritual practice gathering that we do here is that sometimes life and religion and things can feel really complicated, confusing, and especially you know in the last I don't know ten years of my life, it's been felt like often unraveling and complication and so this, let this, these words from Thomas Merton speak to you. He says, No matter how simple discourse may be, it is never simple enough. No matter how simple thought may be, it is never simple enough. No matter how simple love may be, it is never simple enough. The only thing left is the simplicity of the soul in God or better, the simplicity of God. And so I encourage us this morning to be simple beings in this place, to not complicate things, but just to be, and to be here with each other and with God. And let's not overcomplicate it, let's enjoy life and goodness and love together. So, it's good. Welcome. Brad, I'm going to... Hand over to you, friend. I'm on. Yeah, thank you. Um, is this being recorded? Like, do we need this? Okay. So, uh, good morning. I'm Brad from Canada. I want to share a little bit about my experiences of embodied worship today. I grew up in a church where spirituality was not embodied. The highest moral value was sitting still. And yet, in sitting still, we entirely evaded stillness. It's a miracle. I remember the sensory deprivation of my childhood, sitting in wool pants on oak benches. You have to understand the layers that go on there. As you can see, I have no bum to speak of, so the, uh, we had pelvic bone skin, wool, oak. Very painful. There was nothing sensual about our services. Uh, nothing to look at. We had the smoked glass. There was nothing to smell. We didn't believe in smoke machines. We call them sensors in the old days. <laughs> we, there was, candles weren't a thing. That was too Catholic. And so little by little, our worship became almost entirely disembodied. In the old days, that was a heresy. It was called Gnosticism, where you try to be so airy-fairy ethereal in your spirituality that you divorce yourself from the material world and your material body. And yet, that's not the Christian tradition. Christian tradition was beautifully embodied, and in fact, beautiful in many ways, and it was meant to be experienced with all five senses. So reducing my spirituality to reading my Bible and praying quietly or silently, um, it really, that's quite damaging to this, the, the, the beauty of a Christian heritage that you could see and hear and touch and smell and taste. I was a Baptist at first. Um, we knew that Christ had turned water to wine, and we were well on our way to turning it back to water. 
we'd got down to a fairly delicious Welch's grape juice. Also, for Welch, Mr. Welch was a Baptist. Um, and so, but, but I, re I had this terrible moment. I, don't, I have deja vu. Sometimes that means I'm, I'm on track, and sometimes it means, no, I already said this. I, I'll just say it anyway. I remember being a little boy in my wool pants on the oak bench, holding my hand out because I saw a fly in the room, hoping it would come land. Life. That's really bad. And it did. Um, it also helped me get into the scriptures because there was nothing else to do. So I, I would take my dad's big old study Bible and just study the Bible maps over and over, all of that stuff. But it was so disembodied except for Bible camp. Bible camp was awesome. We did stand-up sit-down songs. <laughs> Boys and girls would alternate. Praise ye the Lord, hallelujah. Praise ye the Lord, hallelujah. Praise ye the Lord, uh-oh. The provincial director noticed the girl's breasts bouncing. And they banned stand-up sit-down songs literally because of that. And they told us so. This is, I'm like, wow, dude. But also then, like, as a Baptist, we had, we had this weird thing because we knew about the Pentecostals and later the Vineyard, and they would put their hands up. And that was, like, so out there to me, even though we'd done the action courses in... Um, Bible camp and Sunday school, when we would be in the normal service, embodying your worship by putting your hands up was so foreign to us. And I remember the first time that I tried to do it, it was unbelievable, the weight of gravity on my hands. So I started there. It was very strange. And then somehow, somehow... I'm like, what's that? Why, why does it feel so much like freedom? What does doing this with my arms have to do with freedom in my heart? But it does. Embodied worship, right? And, um, and, then, and then the renewal came. And some of you remember the Toronto blessing. And then all sorts of what we called manifestations happened. And there was ecstatic body movement. Um, sometimes quite symbolic. And so we always puzzled, is this the Holy Spirit or is this just us? And so, and so sometimes it was so ecstatic that you're like that, like, that can't be human. That's either God or a devil. And so everyone chose which one it was, right? But I'll, I'll show you one of them. So just hold this for a second. chopping about and they go I don't know I'm just praying and worshiping and it feels like I'm cutting something off in the spirit oh okay we're chopping okay and then and so what happened over the years of renewal in the 90s is you start to develop a a catalog of of symbolic acts and I don't despise that I experienced some of that some of it got creepy and weird, but lots of it was embodied worship. And, and we weren't sure how much to put on God and how much to put on us and how much to put on mimicking others and how much to put on muscle memory. I don't know, but it was embodied. So that was interesting. 
And I did notice the body-soul-spirit connection. I do feel it when I raise my hands. I do feel it when I begin to sway. Actually, we had these autistic guys in our church. They taught me how to do it. Gordy. Brian. Autistic. Brad. This feels good. Why does this feel good? Because I'm not wearing wool pants. <laughs> and then, of course, the moshing began. We had the most amazing thing, the, the greatest manifestation of freedom in my youth group that actually began, it was like a little revival. We went from a group, youth group of 6 to 12 up to 150 in a church that wasn't as big as the youth group. And one of the central manifestations of our freedom was dancing. Men, conservative Mennonites, they won't even have sex standing up because it could lead to dancing. <laughs> and so, so dancing, right? And, but I, but it, how it broke out, I remember it so clearly. It was this amazing thing. There's 150 kids in the, packed in this tight little room, like a room half this size. A bit less than half this size. This size, maybe from here to the window. 150 kids, totally breaking the fire code. And some guy in the youth band, fooling around on his bass guitar. Do you know that song? Which is a ripoff of Queen, Under Pressure. And it was a dun 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 Hundred and fifty of us, and the floor is going. And we danced our brains out for the next two years. It was awesome. And kids would go to youth group, and they would bring their friends from school, and they're like, "You've got to come to youth." Why? And you know what they didn't say? They didn't say, because we dance. They said, because God is there. What do you mean? I don't know. And then they would come. First time, Christ not Christians, first time visitors. And they'd go into like, these were the days of Nirvana and Kurt Cobain. So all the young guys learned how to play power chords on their... And all of a sudden, shaking and crying. I was like, what's happening to me? And I'm like... I don't know. These are Mennonites. No, non-Christians visiting Mennonites. This isn't Toronto or something. And they're crying. And, and I'd go over and I'm like, what's happening in your heart? I don't know. What are those tears? I don't know. Well, do they feel like good tears or bad tears? And they go, they feel like love. I'm like, that's Jesus. How do you like him so far? Mm. There, it was embodied somehow. It's very weird. And what was even weirder was when it didn't happen and people would try to manufacture it. Ooh, that just felt gross. So um, I, think, I think it's worth thinking about these embodied faith practices because they are part of not only Christian tradition, but like all religious traditions. And I'm using religious not as religiosity, but as faith practices. The embodiment of taking a beeswax candle and smelling it. 
and rubbing your hands on the wax. And then setting it on fire, sticking it in the sand and looking at it and remembering someone who used to be standing there with you and now they are a heavenly light in the cloud of witnesses. This is Bishop Varlam. And I worship with him at one and the same throne of grace. Right? So <laughs> I want to just um, then share a little bit about some of the faith practices you've already touched on, but that I've experienced as I moved into the Eastern Church. So think of me as a, uh, an other today. I'm from a different wing of the Church of Jesus Christ, but we deeply love our, we deeply love him, our Lord Jesus Christ. And so um, uh, this church is a bridge building church because we're doing something ecumenical today with a tradition that's very foreign to you, probably for some of you, but some of it you'll recognize because we have it in common. And then other things are like, ooh, that might be weird. So um, I heard that you've already done some teaching or experience with um, uh, using the sign of the cross. Is that right? So I just want to say, if you ever come visit us at a Orthodox church, what you're going to see is people using the sign of the cross a lot. A lot. And... Um, and this is very ancient, like certainly Athanasius talks about it in the early 300s, but I think we have evidence it was happening within a century of, of the church where they'd make the sign of the cross. And so you've seen Catholics do it probably, be like this and this and this and this, and then maybe they've got a little, you know, thing and they kiss it, whatever. And then, but during World War II, sometimes the spies would would they would do the sign of the cross like a Russian Orthodox. Ah, right to left. And the others weren't thinking about it. They'd go left to right and the spy would be caught. Catholic Christians fighting Orthodox Christians. Catching each other in their spying by which way they did the sign of the cross. That's weird. So, um, but I'd invite you to do this bit of embodiment with me because we're going to use our hands for theology. Trinity, let's all do that together. The Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We, we confess the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God, one God, one in nature and essence, which is love and undivided. Any theology we have that divides the one God has made a mistake. That has implications. All right, now we'll leave these fingers alone for a moment. Let's use these two ones. Can you, can you put your ring finger and your baby finger together? That's the two natures of Christ, human and divine. There they are. That's, that's the human and divine nature. That Christ is one person, human and divine, and indivisible. So any theology that separates his humanity and his divinity is making a mistake. It's one person, one person. Two natures, indivisible. One God, three persons, indivisible. Now here's a fun, this is my favorite part. In the creed it says that he came down. Watch Jesus coming down and he's going to land on the earth. That little spongy part of your hand, that's the world. 
So we've got these, the three there, and then we're going to bring down, Jesus is there, the two natures, come, and he touches the earth. He walks, the, he walks among us. Isn't that fun? Spongy earth. Dun, 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 dun. All right, so we got our hands that way. That's not the only way to do it, but it's how the, my church does it. And then um, if you are in the Roman Catholic or Anglican or Western traditions, usually when you when you, we're going to go from right to left, uh, left to right, like this. And in the Orthodox tradition, we go right to left. But here's, here's the idea. Um, we worship Father, Son. Oh, see, the Son is coming down from the Father. The, the Son proceeds from the Father. He comes down. He comes all the way down, maybe almost your belly button. I don't know. Some people up here, up here. Maybe your sternum. Oh, maybe that's where the grave is. I'm not sure. Don't know. That's probably not a thing. Father, from the Father, Son, and then Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and Holy Spirit. So in, in an Orthodox Church service, we say Father, Son, and Holy Spirit like way too many times. But every time you do, you're supposed to cross yourself. And so that's why if you visit us, you're going to see a lot of this. But also, we do it like, we like, some of us like to do it when we say mercy, which is 154 times. So, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy. But, oh, oh did you notice that? I said, Lord have mercy three times. So, anytime you do something three times, that's the Trinity. Lord have mercy, Lord. And so, um, so we're just doing this all the time. And, and what it, why? Why? I suppose it embodies the centrality of the cross. It embodies the love of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who send the Son into this world. And, um, and it also embodies the shield of faith. And so in the early church, they would talk about this, that when you cross yourself, even just doing that, demons flee. Maybe if we believe it, whatever demons are. Maybe even if you think about demons in the way that Alcoholics Anonymous does. I'm wrestling with my demons. Yeah, cross yourself. Now this comes very handy also in other settings. So for example, if I'm like at a Christian home where I'm uncertain whether they're going to pray before the meal and then they don't. But I'm used to praying before the meal, and they're not used to praying before the meal. And Marion just starts right into her dinner. Here's what you do. You cross yourself. There, good. Now I'm, I'm shielding myself from Marion's. No, I'm not. I'm, what, I, what I'm doing, I'm blessing my meal. It's like, oh, I don't have time to really think up of prayer. Well, why not? Embodied prayer. This is an embodied prayer. Um, maybe, in, and, and so here, here's, here's one way we would pray that we're embodying that, the, the sign of the cross, and it would be um, a glory to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and ever and unto ages of ages of men. Glory to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, now and to ever ages of ages of men. Oops, I don't want to talk. Oops, I'm on an airplane having my meal. Shall I just be pagan or shall I... Or shall I be evangelical? It doesn't matter. 
do what you want to do. Express your prayers in the way that your body appreciates. It's not a rule. It's not prescriptive. This is not a prescription. It's a tradition. And the traditions didn't come out of heaven in an egg. We made them up. That's like totally okay, because guess what? We're people. So these embodiments, these embodiments, actually they're generated from our reflections on our experience of God. And so there's like all this flexibility, right? All right, so I wanna, so I wanna share about that. Let's, let's have a look at the Trisagion prayer. This would be an example. Do you see that? Up the Trisagion prayer. Oh, there's a try, right? So um, I'm gonna pray it. And I want you to watch, just watch the first time what I do with my hands as I pray, because you can't, it's hard to even believe how many times the Trinity comes up in there. So, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Glory to thee, our God, glory to thee. O heavenly King, comforter, spirit of truth who's in all places and fills all things, treasury of good gifts and giver of life. Come and dwell in us and cleanse us from every stain and save our souls, O gracious Lord. Holy God, holy, mighty, holy, immortal, have mercy on us. Holy God, holy, mighty, holy, immortal, have mercy on us. Holy God, holy, mighty, holy, immortal, have mercy on us. Glory to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, now and ever into ages of ages. Amen. Do you see how many times, like, so we've got Father, Son, and Spirit. We kind of got the Spirit a few times. We've got the Heavenly King, Comforter, Spirit of Truth. We've got the Holy God, Holy Mighty, and Holy Mortal. And you do that three times. It's just three, 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 three. And, and um, so that's just our tradition, right? Um, but there's some beautiful things in this prayer. And I think one thing it helps us to do, is, it's another embodied kind of act, and that is chanting. And there's like really beautiful chanting, and then there's really basic chanting. But one thing I, I like to do when I'm praying the Psalms, I chant the Psalms, and here's why. One is you can chant longer than you can read. You can chant all night easy, more easily. But also, it's a little more beautiful, but also it reminds you it's poetic. So a big problem in evangelicalism, as I grew in it was we literalized everything. Maybe that's partly because we didn't chant. I don't know, but I like chanting, so I'm gonna chant it this time. And, and you're gonna see it's like, like not super special, it's just what we do. It's a tradition, a faith practice, an embodied, there's something about chanting that feels embodied to me. It's, I, I, that's more than speech, so in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Glory to thee, our God, glory to thee. O heavenly king, O comforter, spirit of truth, who art in all places and fillest all things, treasury of good things and giver of life, come dwell in us and cleanse us from every stain and save our souls, O gracious Lord. Holy God, holy, mighty, holy, immortal, have mercy on us. Holy God, holy, mighty, holy, immortal, have mercy on us. Holy God, holy, mighty, holy, immortal, have mercy on us. Glory to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, now and ever unto ages of ages, amen. I like doing that in my head. I like chanting it like that. Does it make me more spiritual? Of course it does. No. <laughs> I just like it. Is it. It's okay to do embodied worship that you like. And I like it. And you might not like it, so you don't have to do it. But that's one of the helpful things then is, what, let's say when you're reading the Psalms and it gets to the ugly parts, and dash their babies' heads on the stones, 
the chanting helps you remember that we're not saying it literally. It's a poem. It's a song. It's a hymn book. And we're chanting so that you don't, don't actually go do that. So that, that can be sometimes an advantage of this. Sure, let's do it again. Um, if you, so when there's a whole bunch of us and you're not used to um, chanting, we can just read it. And, and, and you can be chanty if you want. <laughs> just do this with your shoulders. No, I'm kidding. Okay, so let's, pr let's pray. In the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Oh, let's stand up. I'm sorry. Uh, and we'll pick it up from there. Glory. Glory to thee, O our God. Glory to thee. O heavenly King, O comforter, the spirit of truth, who art in all places and fillest all things, treasury of good things and giver of life, come and dwell in us and cleanse us from every stain and save our souls, O gracious Lord. Holy God, holy mighty, holy immortal, have mercy on us. Glory to Father and Son and to the Holy Spirit, now and ever and to ages of ages, amen. Ah, but we're not done. Next slide. All right. Carry on. All Holy Trinity, have mercy on us. Lord, cleanse us from our sins. Master, pardon our iniquities. Holy God, visit and heal our infirmities for thy name's sake. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Glory to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. All right, have a seat. So um, I wasn't just wanting to teach about crossing yourself then. I want to back up to the previous slide. And just This would be a daily practice, a daily prayer, almost like that, that goes along with the Lord's Prayer. In fact, in the Orthodox Church, we pray that, then we pray the Lord's Prayer. Usually we sing the Lord's Prayer. But I just want to make note of a couple important phrases that you might really like. Some of it's just beautiful. O heavenly king, O comforter spirit of truth, who is in all places and fills all things. That's a really a strong statement. So <clears throat> there's, a, there's sort of a pagan idea that we call pantheism, that God is creation. And we don't believe that. We believe there's a creator and a creation. But there's also something called panentheism. And a lot of Christians have resisted that, but the ancient church was unapologetically panentheist. What does panentheist mean? It means he is in all places and fills all things. He is in the spirit of truth. The cosmic Christ is the one who made all things has also now filled them with his presence. He's in all things. And you can see how that could get creepy if you're like talking to trees all day. But if we could see the presence of the Holy Spirit in each other, that would be a start. Even not just brothers and sisters. Okay, there is a way in which believers have received Christ into their lives. That's a relationship thing. But there's also a way in which the Holy Spirit fills all things and is in all places. That's a creator thing. That A creator isn't standing over here and making something over there. It's out of the fullness of God's love that he creates and fills all things with his love. So the highest natural law in the universe is love. 
And so when we, this matters for like, let's say when we pray for somebody and they get healed, we are not breaking natural law. We are appealing to the highest natural law, which is love that holds all things together and will restore all things. And the beauty of this then is in the, um, in my tradition, we don't look forward to the second coming as just simply like <clears throat> this invasion from outside where Christ will come. Well, he will come, but it looks in our tradition like the transfiguration. Light, which is love, glowing from the inside. And it's already beginning. This really happened uh, in New Zealand. So there's a, a young woman, and we're, we, did a, we did a spiritual exercise that we'll do in a little while, where she came to the cross and she handed a burden over to the Lord. And it was a big burden, and, but what blew her away, and she almost felt ripped off that she had never experienced the cross before. But this time, like, she's deeply experiencing the cross as she's handing over burdens to the Lord and she's receiving his gifts. And it, it profoundly moved her. It's like, oh, that's what the cross is about. A direct encounter with the living one who trades, like, makes upgrades, takes our burdens, give us, gives us gifts. And so she goes um, later that afternoon she goes to her friend's house, who used to be a Christian, but has moved on and let it go and not into it anymore. But they still have a good enough relationship that they're very open and can share all of their experiences. So this, this girl from uh, Auckland, she's telling her friend about her experience of the cross and handing these burdens over. And her friend says to her, um, you're glowing. And she said, I know it's been hot and I'm sweaty. And she said, no, there's light shining out of you. In fact, it's so bright I have to turn my eyes away. And so this sounds like 2 Corinthians 3 that says this, as we behold the Lord, especially the crucified and risen one, as we behold the Lord, we are being transfigured. That's literally the Greek term. Transfigured from glory to glory into the image of Jesus Christ. And her friends saw it happen. And she's like, it's so bright. What if the Holy Spirit, who's in all places and fills all things, does that to the whole universe? What if that's our vision of the second coming? I don't know. It's a vision. That'd be cool. That the light of love who created the universe, who fills the universe, will transfigure the universe for the restoration of the cosmos. Oh, sign me up. So, so um, the other thing I want you to notice about this prayer then, I just love the, um, I, I love the line, there's another translation would say that the spirit is the treasury of good gifts. Isn't that neat to think of the spirit of a treasury? Come to the treasury. What do you want to take out of the treasury? Receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And then I, uh, for me, as I've been praying, I pray this every day. And when I pray it, sometimes I just cross myself in my head. But, you know, but I get to cleanse us from every stain. And that one's really been working on me. I'm realizing that I don't just need my sins forgiven. 
I need to get rid of them. I want to be cleansed from my addictions. It doesn't, it does a, it does a meth addict a little bit of good to hear that their drug addiction is forgiven. It does them a lot more if they're cleansed of it. Is this me? Hang on. Nope, someone else is dinging. To cleanse me from every stain. Cleanse me from these attachments. Free me. It's, that's what it's saying. Don't just forgive me. Free me. I want to be made whole. I want these stains gone. And so we pray for that too. And it's pretty amazing that, that um, it's not just about forgiveness of guilt. It's cleansing of the stains of shame. I don't know if you've ever felt shame. When I feel it, it comes really hard. And my, my face goes um, into a very painful red. I can feel it. I want to be cleansed of that. And so I ask for that. Treasury of good gifts, giver of life, come dwell in us. That, now that's a strange thing to say. We've just said he's already with us. He fills, he's everywhere and he fills all things. Why do you think we need to invite him then? Because there's a really bad way to invite him, and that would be like the prophets of Baal. We're going to whip ourselves up in worship. And I saw, I've seen this in Charismania. We're going to impress God, and we're going to um, slather ourselves into a frenzy, and then maybe he'll come. And I was actually at a horrible, horrible revival service where the preacher had all the young people come forward, and he's like, cry out to him, cry out to him that he would come. He's... And then, so, oh, Lord, go, go. And he literally said this, word for word. He can't hear you. He's just outside the door. Cry out louder. And it instantly out of migraine. I turned to my friend Charles. I'm like, I got to go. And he goes, me too. I have a migraine. Horrible. That's Baal worship. We don't have to beg God to come. But why invite him if he's already with us and in us? Thoughts? Say again. Consensual. That's like exactly the right word. If God is love, love functions by consent, not by coercion. And so I say to the one who is here, you're most welcome. I consent. I surrender to your loving care. I have a fun story about that. I met a couple who was in an arranged marriage in India. She was in North America. They found a family for her. She went to visit India. They introduced her to her husband. It'd be like, um, this is your husband. You will be married next week. Uh, mingle. And she was utterly terrified because she could foresee her honeymoon being a rape. And he was like, whoa, I got a babe. <laughs> He was so excited. And um, so that next Sunday, they got married against her will. But part of the shame honor culture there is you obey your parents no matter what. And he saw her fear, and he did love her. It was love at first sight, and I don't just mean infatuation. It was like love. And for the next, I think they said 14 months, he laid next to her in bed and never touched her once and he had a really hard time with that and every time every time he struggled the Lord spoke to him and said this I have loved you with an everlasting love I want you to love her with an everlasting love For 14 months into this nightly distance 
it occurred to her, what kind of man would do that? And she just fell so deeply in love. I met them when they were seven years married, and it was like they were still on their honeymoon. Consent, right? So the Holy Spirit has moved into our lives. He fills everything. He's here now. She's here now. Fills us. Fills the people out there. Fills fills everything. But it's consent. It's through consent that we now participate in that divine nature. And so, so we pray this daily to say, I consent again today. I consent. You've loved me with an everlasting love. And I get it now. And, I, and, and now I'm so madly in love with you. But, and, and, but you know what? Tomorrow it has to be by consent again. And the next day. And for the rest of our eternity. Because if it's not consent, it's not love. And God is love. So that's a few things about that. Now, I want to shift to another. So this is one faith practice. It's, it's, we, we've talked a little bit about the intricacies of the crossing ourselves and how we might use that in a prayer like this. And then there's another prayer I want to introduce you to and another faith practice that's a little more foreign. Because some of you have done this a bit and you've seen it a lot. And, but it's prostrations. And I want to connect that with what we'll call the Lenten prayer of St. Ephraim. So if we could put that up, the Lenten prayer of St. Ephraim, the Syrian. Um, And we'll come to that in a minute, but what is a prostration? Not a prostation, a prostration. Well, we most probably associate it with Islam, who probably got it from us. But it's even much more ancient than Christianity. We have frescoes uh, in stone from well before the time of Christ where we've got people coming before kings and prostrating themselves, carved in stone. We've got scripture um, that describes prostrations over and over. It's like a a regular faith practice in the Bible. So if we're going to be biblical about it. But don't worry, I won't make it prescriptive. We'll only do a kind of prostration by invitation. So here's some examples of biblical prostration as embodied worship. Abraham prostrates himself before God in Genesis 17.3. Moses and Aaron prostrate themselves before the Lord at the tent of meeting in Numbers 20. David calls on the assembly to prostrate themselves before God in 1 Chronicles 29. The wise men fell prostrate before the child Christ when they finally found him in Matthew 2. The disciples instinctively fell prostrate before Christ at his transfiguration. Christ himself prostrates himself to pray to the Father in Gethsemane, Matthew 26, 39. The women fall prostrate before the risen Christ on Easter morning in Luke 24. The angels and elders prostrate themselves before the throne of God in heaven in Revelation 3 and 4 and 7. And so um, I actually found uh, 33 key instances of prostration in the Bible where it's embodied as the most appropriate response to the presence of the living God. So if the question is, is prostration biblical, it's like really biblical, considering how much some of our faith traditions don't use it. Um, More more interestingly, in a sense, is how much the the Muslims do. 
So when I prostrate myself, you might go, oh my goodness, he's doing the Muslim thing. It's like, actually, they probably got it from us. And we probably got it from the Jews. And we could talk about it as a faith practice. You could also just talk about it as a reaction, a natural reaction. So I want to go there first. Or shall I show you one first? So it's very simple. I want to be able to, people to be able to see. Um, I'm going to have a method to my madness because I have bad knees. And when I wear a robe, my heels get caught in it. So what do I do? I'm going to just try to talk loud enough. So I come up with my creaking bones. I'm like, oh, got a prostration coming. Cinch up my belt. And I head for the floor with my hands. And so that my hands hit the floor. Oh, and then I help my knees down. Wow, that's stiff. And then I might bring my elbows down to the floor. And then I'll put my, touch my forehead to the floor. That's a... That, that's a prostration. So you associate that often with Muslims. There you go. But those aren't Muslims. Those are Christians. And you want to, I want to speed up a bit. <laughs> so it's like, uh, uh. 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 you should hear an Orthodox church when we're doing this. <laughs> So this is, this is prostrations as a kind of a workout, too. That's sort of a yoga move, isn't it? What yoga position would you call that? When the elbows are all the way down, what is it? Child's pose. Child's pose. Interesting. The first time I did a child's pose in prayer was in the left behind days when I, got, I thought I had been left behind. I get home, my parents aren't home. My mom's supposed to be home. I don't know where she is. I start phoning her friends. No one's answering the phone. I call my dad's office. He's, his, aunt, his office isn't answering. I'm all alone. I've been left behind. I'm going to have to... I, like, I'm a, I'm a 10 or 11-year-old kid. I'm going to have to go through the tribulation as a kid. And I know what's coming because I studied it to death. You know what I did? It also felt like groveling. And I think the, the downside of prostrations is that they can be done as groveling. And they're not meant to be, we're not meant to ever grovel before our dad. You don't have to grovel before your dad. Okay? Good. Good to know. So, here's what I want to say. If it's not groveling, what is it? One. Um, prostration can be embodied repentance. We can repent. Two, prostration can be embodied humility. Three, prostration can be embodied worship. Four, prostration, this is my favorite one, prostration can be identified with death and resurrection. You know when you're baptized, if you're immersed, you go down into the water and back up? Every prostration is that. I'm dying and rising with him again. That's my favorite kind of prostration. And, and prostration is our willing yes. 
to what God is doing in our hearts. Yes. So if you, please don't prostrate as groveling. Prostrate in humble repentance, in humility, in worship, in resurrect, death and resurrection. Now, here's the short form. If you have bad knees, um, you can do mini prostrations. Here's how you do them. Um, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy. If you can reach all the way to the ground, you just touch the ground with your hand. <laughs> if you can't reach the ground, you reach all the way to your knees. And that counts, because it's not a religious effort in destroying your body. So, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy. I just went down that far. So maybe touching my knees, it's not about touching my knees, but it's a good measurement. That's, it's saying this, that's far enough. That's far enough. So let's all stand up again. Um, would anybody, if, let's just make space, and you can move around. If anyone wants to do a full prostration, just make sure you have enough room to do that. And, um, and then if, if you want to just stand where you are and there's not room, you could do a, a, a touch the ground prostration. And if you want to just head to your knees, that's like enough. It really is enough, okay? So I'm going to just, um, could we put up the Lenten prayer of St. Ephraim? Um, so here's what we're going to do. But we'll all pray the first stanza, then we'll prostrate. Um, we'll prostrate after thy servant. So thy servant, see, is an act of humility. I'm, a, I'm, I'm his son, your daughter, but we also are, we, lit, we serve him joyfully. And we're going to prostrate ourselves as servants, but also as worship. And also is death and resurrection. So we'll do it then um, after thy servant. Then we'll just get up and pray the rest of it, all right? So let and kind of chant along if you can. O Lord and master of my life, take from me the spirit of sloth, faint-heartedness, lust of power, and idle talk, but give rather the spirit of chastity, humility, patience, and love to thy servant. Prostration. And just bounce back right up. You don't got to stay there a long time. And now we do the rest of it. Yea, O Lord and King, grant me to see my own errors and not to judge my brother. For thou art blessed unto ages of ages. Amen. So that was fun. Um, so, so uh, now the hard part is sometimes we'll do like 12 prostrations at the part where you did one. But... This time, instead of just practicing, um, I want you to think, so don't sit down yet, I would just want you to think about which of those images or, or, or metaphors or symbolisms you're most drawn to. Humility, repentance, worship, death and resurrection, whatever else I said, and, or, and willingness, willingness. Um, so what you, take a moment, which one are you drawn to most? What were they? Humility, repentance, worship, death and resurrection, willingness. Okay, just pick one. And this time what we'll do is I want you to focus on that one posture of your heart. 
we'll all say, Lord, have mercy three times with the sign of the cross. And we'll do a prostration of however depth you, you feel led to do. Okay, so um, where were we? And up we go. And that's a kind of embodied worship. All right, have a seat. <clears throat> so we want to do one prayer exercise before we go. So now we got what, four minutes? And, and then communion after that? Or do I have to do, no, like, but is it what's best? Should we go to communion now? <clears throat> okay, all right, so here's what we're gonna do. Um, leading into communion, this will be part of communion. There's a prayer exercise that I've learned that's really helpful as we've humbled ourselves now. We've oriented ourselves to, in willingness towards the living God and his graciousness and his treasury. So it's not meant to be all like too intense. It's about opening ourselves up. Oh, okay, I'm ready now. I'm ready. And, um, and so when we come to the table... One way of talking about the cross is that it's a place of exchange. A place of exchange. And Isaiah 61 talks about the spirit of the sovereign lords upon me to preach good news to the poor, etc. And it's, but there's all this, um, these exchanges. Beauty for ashes. Love for shame. A joy, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of a heaviness. Exchanging, upgrading, bringing a burden and receiving a gift. <clears throat> so, I think here's how I'd like to do it, is I'm going to just lead you through a few questions that help identify a burden that we're going to leave at the cross, because this is about the cross now. And when we come to the cross, we're going to surrender that burden, and then we're going to receive his good gifts, which today is very specific. It will be the fountain of immortality, his blood that can wash anything and the bread of his body for the healing of your body, soul, and spirit. So we're going to receive these gifts in exchange for the burden we lay down. Sometimes that's very, that's just a mild little trade, leaving my burdens, taking his gifts. But I want you to know I've also seen people dramatically healed in this moment. And so I believe that what, how, in whatever mysterious way, this is real. And this embodiment of worship seems to be the apex of the Christian tradition. There's the, the deepest embodiment is receiving his body into your body and his blood into your veins. So we've, we're kind of climaxing this embodied practice. But um, so here's, so this will be, we're going to examine ourselves. And instead of opening our hearts to the accuser to pound us for the next few minutes, examining ourselves will be very specific. We're going to ask him to identify a burden, where you carry it, what it costs you, do you need it, and can he have it? Have answer, don't worry, I'll go slow. When we're ready to surrender that burden, um, we're going to thank him for the upgrade and receive 
the gifts of his treasury. Um, when we actually receive, how will we do that? We'll all come up. And st Perfect. So you'll help me. All right. So, so let's. So we're going to examine ourselves now. Um, and I'll lead the way with questions. Um, Lord, is there a burden I'm carrying that you'd like to me? You'd like me to leave at the cross today? Is there a burden of hurt or anger? or grief, or guilt? Is there some kind of loss? Is there a fear that I wear as a burden? Is there a person that I'm carrying that I'm meant to leave in your care? Whatever it is that you would want me to leave here today and walk out free, would you just identify one of those burdens for me? Just see, see what he shows you in his heart, or in your heart. Don't try too hard. Just see what floats up. You may have a memory or see a person or have a feeling, and you're like, this is too heavy. It's totally appropriate to feel those burdens. Just don't carry them any further than the cross. And the second question, Lord, um, where would you identify, where do I carry that burden in my body? Is it my head, my face, my shoulders, my neck, my back, my heart, my sternum, my gut, my fists? Where, where do you carry your burden? So just think about the best name for that burden and where you carry it in your body. Could even be trauma. Okay, and then if you could see that burden in the spirit, what would it look like? Does it look like chains? Does it look like boulders? Does it look like a shadow? When you think about where you carry this burden in your body, what would be a symbol that really describes what it looks like? Now let's just take a moment to examine what has it cost you to carry that burden? Has it cost you joy, peace, relationships, jobs, inner peace? Bur carrying burdens costs us. And another question we might ask is, is there any reason you might need it or cling to it? So some of us carry these burdens and we won't let them go. We won't leave them at the cross because we think we need them. 
Like, my guilt protects me from sin. It's like, oh, really? Or I need this wall because it keeps me safe. Or I can't let this go or something bad will happen. So um, if you just examine any, anything in you that would cause you to cling to that burden today, um, you might not even be able to put it into words, but here's an idea. Why don't we come to Jesus and just tell him, part of me believes I need this. That might not describe you. You might be just ready, but if you've been clingy to it, if, it's, if, if your hands won't quite let go, let's just, in fact, let's just look him in the face and tell him, I need this burden. And see what he says or shows you. Part of me thinks it needs this. Jesus, what do you say? All right. You don't have to rush, and you can even carry on later, but let, let's just stay there for a moment. So we're with Jesus now, and we've got this burden, and we're carrying it, and we want to let go of it, and... But one other thing that helps us is if we find out what he wants to give us in exchange, like the Isaiah 61 upgrade. So, Lord, if I gave this to you, what gift would you give me from your treasury? And he might show you a picture, or he might just say a word, or you might get an impression. Lord, if, if I were to live, let this burden go to you, what would you exchange it for? What would be the upgrade? What is the gift from your treasure chest, the Holy Spirit? So just in your heart, again, let's review now. So what's the burden? Where do you carry it? What's it look like? What has it cost you? Do you really need it? What would he give you in exchange? Um, the Holy Spirit would like to bring you before the, the cross of the living Christ, the risen one, glorified, and, and, but it's by consent, right? It's consent, by consent. So if, if you are ready, if you feel like this has cost too much, it doesn't feel good, it doesn't look good, I don't like it, I don't need it, I don't want it, please, I want the gift. I'm going to have you pray this very complicated prayer, so listen closely. Lord, you can have it. You know, that's it. that is complicated, isn't it? sometimes. So if, if you'd like to pray that prayer, I invite you to embody your willingness by just holding your hands out to him, your open hands, and he, he can have it. Um, and and uh, just pray that. you And I would even, you don't have to pray it out loud, but at least embody it with your lips. Lord, you can have it. And now I'm going to invite him to lay his wounded hand right on the place in your body where you, where you carried that burden. I'm going to pray for you, okay? So as best you can, just let your, 
just, just be open to him making the exchange. So, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on us. I pray that you'd now lay your wounded hand right on that place. Just imagine that, his wounded hand, he lays it, and his wound goes right over your burden and your wound. And I'd invite you now to lay your hand over his hand. It's like you're going to embrace, so whatever place in your body, you're going to, he's put his hand there, and now just put your hands over his hands, wherever that is, your head, your heart, your back, your neck, your, you know, whatever, right? And now I'll, I'll pray for you again. So Lord, now I ask that you would begin to pour your healing love into that place and begin to flush out the burden. I pray that you would lift the burden out of our body, soul, and spirit. I pray that you draw that burden into your own wounds and swallow it in love. Would you remove all the toxins that fester in the place where I carried that burden and just lift it off or drain it out. Pour in your healing love and your healing light. And so, um, so just let him have it. And in, in your heart, watch what he does. This, is, this often helps. Watch what he does. So, um, so now that, that burden, um, it goes in Jesus' name. So let him have it. Let him remove it. And Lord, the gift that you wanted to give us. Um, let's now just open our hands again to receive. Lord, we receive the gift, the upgrade, the thing that you wanted for us. And I think he wants to give some of you love and joy and hope and freedom. And as he puts, if you want to imagine him putting that in your hands, we'll embody receiving it again. And so just take that gift from your hands and now hold it into your heart. Just bring it up into your heart. Lord, I receive your gifts. Receive your gift. And Lord, we thank you that you are the breaker of yokes and the bearer of burdens, that you bore all our sins and all our sorrows, all our griefs, all our hurts. You even carry our anger for us. And you transform it into forgiveness. You take the darkness and turn it to light. Lord, we welcome you to transfigure us from glory to glory. Um, so you may have only started a process, and you may need some aftercare, but we're not quite done here. Let's now, we're going to come to the table. I'm going to um, pray first, and we'll, we'll just thank God for this stuff, and then we're going, we're going to, we'll gather around the table to embody um, the very best part of our gift, receiving Christ into ourselves in an embodied way. Have I missed anything important so far? Okay. Um, so... Father in heaven, we thank you for your, your body that was broken for us. We thank you for your blood that can wash anything 
like absolutely anything, and that you, that with this body and with your blood, that the Holy Spirit would fill this moment as he fills all things. And that we'd receive these treasure, treasures from your heart, from your life, from your experience, into our hearts, our life, and our experience. And with the sign of the cross, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to check out more about Central, visit us at centralchurch.org.au. Music by Chris D'Souza, a beloved member of Central. Ha, ha, ha.